Welcome to the Retzel Health Law Hotspot. Health Law Hotspot is a podcast for physicians and health professionals that covers the legal issues and trends that affect the healthcare industry. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Health Law Hotspot. This is Erica Adler, shareholder and leader of the healthcare practice group at Retzel and Andres. Today, I'm joined by Kelly Moore and Eric Hook from Cirrus, and we're going to be talking about effective negotiation of leases for healthcare practices. Eric and Kelly come to us from an organization that is devoted specifically to working with healthcare providers, whether it's dentists, doctors, veterinarians, specifically in uh, reviewing their leases, negotiating their leases, and helping create standalone leases, and specifically in the healthcare area. So what we want to talk about today are some tips they might have, um, some stories they might be able to share about good outcomes and maybe mistakes they've seen people make. And so hopefully we can jump right into it. I'll just mention that Eric also is the president of Sears Consulting Group, uh, and Kelly is the the lease negotiator for the consulting group. So I'm guessing we'll get a couple different perspectives here, and I'm really glad to have you guys with us. Perfect. Erica, thank you so much. Love the podcast and uh, glad to be a longtime listener, first-time attendee. Thanks for having us. (laughs) Right. Thanks for being here. So why don't we start off by maybe just tell us a little bit about how you got into this, why you felt it was something that healthcare providers really weren't paying attention to and needed to pay attention to. Yeah, maybe as a quick background, uh, Sears Consulting Group, it's it's been around since the mid-90s, 94. So we're 28 years in the business now. And the history was pretty unique. There was sort of a, a group of doctors that were very focused on how to help to protect other doctors to make sure that they weren't being taken advantage of by the landlord or, you know, the old story of someone graduated from dental school and drove around their local neighborhood and called the number on the sign. And before they knew it, they were signing a binding letter of intent on the trunk of a, of a broker's car without truly appreciating or leveraging how much of an ideal tenant they are to the landlord. So they partnered with a bunch of real estate experts, and uh, now we've done over 13,000 successful lease negotiations. And yeah, pretty uniquely, we're the only healthcare specialized tenant representation firm of our kind in North America, and it feels like we're just getting started. Uh, COVID has really sort of opened a lot of doctors' eyes to the importance of the office lease. Uh, It's also, you know, caused many of them to actually find and look for the lease that they might not have even had in a uh, covered in dust since 1986 type of thing. But uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting history with Cirrus, and we've worked with Henry Shine and others to, to just, if nothing else, help educate the doctor how great of a tenant they are. Uh, most of them now, to build it a new dental clinic or medical clinic or vet clinic, it can easily be upwards of three hundred dollars per square foot. So first of all, right, some of the highest costs of any other commercial tenant, yet also some of the lowest default rates, right? Typically after a 10-year term, it's usually less than 5% that the dentist isn't going to be there, where a restaurant, it can be almost be the opposite. So really in the eyes of the landlord, that's that's as a sure thing to a check as, as possible. Plus, it's COVID's also shown that there's not a, that the dentist is COVID proof, right? There's not a single dentist that's been, uh, or vet or otherwise, that's been able to work from home. So being able to now be that ideal tenant, plus bring in that high quality foot traffic, even through the the height of the pandemic. So we've really continued to raise the flag and educate the landlords about the value of a medical dental type tenant, as well as then how to use that as positive leverage to ensure that 
right, is a nice new long-term lease in place to help ensure that predictability and continuity of revenue, not only for themselves, but also their future buyer as well. Makes sense. So Kelly, when somebody comes to you with a lease, and maybe it's a brand new one, maybe it's up for renewal, which I know is a big, you know, time to reconsider your lease, you know, what are some of the things you're looking for um, that might, you know, be something you want to point out or that might be uh, something that the healthcare provider didn't think was important? Yeah, that's a good question because I would say first and foremost, a lot of our clients don't realize how important the lease is to the eventual sale uh, of their practice. Because if there's not, first and foremost is term, right? If there's not a lot of term on the lease, then the person buying the clinic that you're leasing can't go get a loan from the bank to give it to the seller because the bank needs to see the term that they're going to be there for 10 years or more to amortize that million dollar check they're cutting the buyer to give to the seller. So first and foremost is working with, with clients about term. Do they want a little bit more flexibility, five years with options? Are they okay with 10 years? And working with them, you know, walking them through, you might get a better rate on 10 years, or maybe they want flexibility. Um, is And then is, you know, what's, what is the liability now? Is it in your name? Do you have a corporation? I find a lot of these um, clients I work with do have corporations and they're doing their accounting through that, but then they're personally liable on the lease. It's their name, right? Um, so getting that, um, you know, finessed and switched maybe to personal guarantees of that fall off or, you know, working with the landlord and really figuring out what their sensitivities are. And then, of course, the assignment section. A lot of our clients don't realize that they're on the hook uh, post-sale right, for perpetuity, right? Like if the buyer renews for another year and another year and another year, this person who's sold and off, you know, retired in beach in Mexico, you know, is still liable for this person they sold to 10 years ago. So we really like to tackle that now. And we have a great success rate um, at, at removing the doctor today um, before they sell. Do you find that landlords are receptive to you being involved? Do they get annoyed when they're not dealing directly with the healthcare provider? Um, no, I think a lot, a lot of them actually, either when I get involved in the first place or after, say, oh, thank you for you know making this move along more quickly, right? Because the doctors they're doing their business nine to five when I can then talk to the landlord during their business hours, which is nine to five, right? And what they really appreciate, appreciate about us is how it is our job then to explain to the dentist in simple terms what all these mean and you know are the things that we're asking for in an itemized list, nice to have, must have, just let it go, right? When they kind of don't know sort of what to look for and what it all means. So we're sort of the middle person, like Eric said, as the educator um, that can speak the same language to both sides. So that's very much appreciated by the landlords. Maybe just to add to that, if I could, Erica, you know, Kelly, perhaps being a little modest, she's probably one of the few that actually has five-star Google reviews from the landlord, right? So she was helping the doctor with the lease and it was the landlord that actually wrote back and said, wow, this was a really easy, pleasurable type of experience. And yes, rather than it being 
you know, an 800 pound gorilla coming in, banging on a desk, quite frankly, it was the opposite. And, and Kelly's got a really unique perspective, having come from working from the landlord side, previously negotiating against the doctor, against the tenant. So she's got the full perspective of speaking landlord, if you will, to understand what their hot buttons are. Let it be base rent, annual increase, common area maintenance, fixed during free rent, tenant improvement allowance, landlord work. And then also helping to bridge the gap. We have landlords that are actually referral partner of ours because they just say, look, doctor, this is all new to you. I understand that you're focusing on these three big things, but this is just not reality or this is not a realistic part of the process. You know, hire Cirrus to help be your advisor guiding you through these processes to help ensure that we we get to that other side and again help bridge the gap. So half the time we're we're educating, as Kelly said, educating the the tenant about sort of reality. Here's best case, here's worst case scenario, and then here's some of the step downs as we go through that letter of intent or otherwise. Right. That's really helpful. So what about when the doctors are the landlords? And I know we've talked about this. Uh, so physician or dentist owns their own building, which is extremely common. And very often they have an unwritten agreement where they're just kind of paying rent every month, you know, switching it around on the books or whatever it is they're doing. And they don't really need or want, let's say a better word for it, to have a written lease until they want to sell their practice, right? And then suddenly the buyer's like, well, who's the landlord? And what does that lease look like? And then you have to come up with something. How do those leases look different, if at all? Or should they really kind of be the same, really an arm's length landlord type situation? And I guess as a second question to that, if a doctor does have a lease while his own practice is the tenant, how does that look the same or different? Yeah, great question, maybe from my perspective, and then Kelly, if you have anything to add through here. The, you know, it's a few components. I just did a, a webinar recently with Bob Gray, who's one of the foremost dental accountants in the in the country. And, you know, he stands up and down all day long to remind his clients to, you know, have a properly structured dental medical type of lease to separate those two entities. And there's there's a few reasons for it. Um, as he was talking from a tax perspective, right, obviously from an audit perspective, are you paying yourself rent? If so, what rent? Is it based on fair market value? In the event of an audit, do you have supporting documents to show what that fair market value is? What are other comparables at the time, right? What's the uniqueness of a dental practice? And the accountants can give the guidance as they would for, you know, where that should fall specifically uh, based on the higher side. But again, it still has to be based on well, oh, it's just my, whatever my mortgage is, or I, Eric, every now and again, I'll just, you know, shuffle some money from side to side, <laughs> right? Obviously, if that's to the detriment of Uncle Sam, major red flag. So one of the main components is to make sure that, yes, it's not just something you might have downloaded from the internet 20 years ago, because your bank said, oh, you're closing today, you better download something from the internet. So that's the first piece, is a very nice, clear delineation. Um, the other piece is lots of other questions, right? Doctor, do you have something that's in place that who's responsible for what? Who's shoveling, right? Whether a slip and fall, et cetera. Is there, is there really a delineation in terms of scope of services? In addition to that, looking forward, you look at sort of the value of the building and the value of the practice. And now we've got to look at the process of transitioning. So a great question to many of your listeners are, do you plan or even if there's a chance to keep your um, your building, right, as a passive form of income or a passive form of income for your estate and simply just sell off the practice rather than selling them as a combined unit. 
first of all, a lot of banks now can be a little weary and buyers, quite frankly, with $300,000 worth of student debt plus mortgages to suddenly then buy a million dollar practice plus, you know, a half million or million dollar building is a major undertaking. So the question to the doctor, though, is do you plan to maintain ownership of the building afterwards? If so, let's start thinking about the lease through the eyes of your buyer. Now, of course, you can create whatever lease you want, whenever you want, et cetera, because you're the landlord. But let's start looking at it through the eyes of the buyer. So the first thing I would think of is, you know, is if I'm the buyer and I'm about to buy, right, Mrs. Smith's practice, Dr. Smith's practice, then the question is, what does that look like? And if suddenly it changes dramatically from what it is today, then the financials are all off. Right, meaning that if the practice valuators at Henry Schein do the analysis and suddenly it's only based on, let's just, you know, half a million dollars a year or $50,000 a year in rent, yet suddenly on close, well, actually we want a $100,000 a year in rent. Suddenly then that whole process unravels. So, you know, one of the things that we typically recommend is draft the lease today to be landlord friendly. You're your own tenant. Oh, hey, I can make it super tenant friendly. Sure you can, but you're your own, you're enforcing your own lease. So do it today as if you're the full-time landlord so that the financials and the past three or four or five years of the financials are accurate to what, what you want it to be in the future. Let it be a triple net lease or a gross lease or a modified gross lease, far easier to do now. And then part two, when you go to sell the practice, how much easier is it is to say, Ah, you know, Dr. Moore, we this here's the lease I've been using for myself for the past 15 years, and now I'm just assigning it on to you. It really does take that, you know, that buyer who might be nervous or their team might be nervous because suddenly if the ink is still wet on that lease that's presented to them the day of close, whoa, 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 hang on a second. Right. Now why you what are you throwing at me here? Well, you know. Yeah, sure. I got the, the practice price down from 1.5 to 1, 1.2. But hang on a second. Now you're just baking that into the lease. And now I'm committed to another 10 years plus two five-year options going up at 5% per year. Well, did you really save any money on the acquisition? And are you just now paying it back in rent? So just, just at a high level. And then again, heaven forbid the doctor passed away. There was, you, you asked about some, some examples and some stories. There was a very prominent oral maxillofacial surgeon on the East Coast that had a plane crash that unfortunately had three separate locations that needed to be sold. And each of those he owned. And without a lease in place creates a significant challenge to, again, have a clear delineation of financials and to help ensure that there is uh, again, clarity for the buyer if, heaven forbid, something ever happened to the doctor. So those, it's a long about answer, Erica, but, but hopefully that does sort of shape a few things that for, for those of your listeners that do own their own real estate are some good considerations as to where an advisor can fit in to sort of help look at all the different aspects and ultimately help put a protective force field around those eventual practice sale proceeds. Yeah. Kelly, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, the other things I do add and, and work with people that own their own real estate and to Eric's point is really um, if they want to keep the real estate and act as the landlord is working with them on step down clauses as well. You know, you can give yourself 10 five-year options to renew, but do you want 
your buyer to have that same right, you know? And so do you even want an option to renew it all for yourself when you're yourself and you can just renew your lease? So I like to sort of make um, sort of a foolproof dummy sheet for them saying, here's options to renew. You know, walk, I walk with them through the pros and cons. Same again, going back on personal guarantees, do you know who you're selling your business to? And do you want a personal guarantee? Do you want a security deposit? You know, obviously you don't need to do that for yourself, but there are other items in the lease to think about um, when, a, when a buyer does, does come to assume your lease. So, so I work with them on that. In most deals, assignment of the lease, um, you know, is a prerequisite, a condition to closing. You know, we do a lot of deals with small practices and private equity, and in every deal, it's it's always a condition. How, you know, and I'll say that sometimes we're all ready to go and we're still waiting on the landlord, uh, either for them to approve it, for their lawyer to review it. Suddenly they're charging X amount, even though we know they spent like an hour on it, right? Um, but I guess the question is, do you see those conditions ever causing a hiccup? Do you very often see landlords not approving assignments? You know, how often do the landlords interfere in the ability to get a deal done? Yeah, so it's, I always tell, you know, sometimes clients go the other way and say, oh my God, I can't sell my practice. Look, it's what's in your lease. And it's like, it's, it's not that you can't, it's what hurdles do you need to jump through for the landlord to say yes or no, right? And to your point, can they say no? Yes, they can. And I think the biggest thing is cause for concern when it comes to us is equal net worth, right? That's a condition and, and especially for liability, right? When then we come in and educate the landlord on, and again, it's not that they can't, right? Again, it all goes back to post liability. If they have this, it's, um, you know, I can't sell my practice to somebody that, that doesn't have the same net worth as me. Well, we're working with retired retiring dentists, right? Who are selling to associates, right? So of course they're not gonna have the same net worth of you, but like Eric said in, in the beginning, their default rates are so low. So what we like to do is um, fin like soften that those condition language that that say that the buyer need, just needs to be credit worthy in the landlord's reasonable reasonable opinion. So then it can be sort of a more open ended conversation um, when they go to sell. And we also like to tackle wherever we see that the landlord can take any if there's any consideration given to to an assignment. We always love to clarify. Um, that that does not mean the landlord's entitled to um, any of the seller's sale of the proceeds of the business, because we've been in situations where landlords actually say, you, you, you used my real estate. And be, if, if you didn't use my real estate, you wouldn't be able to have your business and, and make, make this, this, um, this profit, right? So in order for me to, to, to let you assign it, you need to give me a third. Landlords have actually said that. So what we like to do is clarify and say, no, this consideration language does not equal that. Wow. Mm -hmm. I haven't had that experience. I have had landlords be a little bit difficult. You know, a lot of times when we're doing transactions, particularly larger ones, uh, there are reorgs that happen or, you know, uh, MSOs uh, or DSOs. Uh, that are acquiring the real estate and then subletting it back to the practice. It's not always a straightforward, a straightforward you know, landlord-tenant situation. And sometimes it can be very difficult to 
help the uh, landlord's council or just the landlord, they're doing it themselves, understand what's going on. It's not, things are very complex in healthcare right now. And we do a lot of really interesting uh, things, sometimes for healthcare law reasons, you know, so sometimes it can be really hard to help, you know, everyone understand. And then when they're looking, it's a brand new entity and they want to see the financials, oh, it's a brand new entity, but it's 100% owned by this entity and you already have those financials, you know, so it can be sometimes hard. Um, but are you, are you saying other than those examples that you give that generally, do you find the landlords are pretty responsive in terms of uh, signing the lease assignments or giving consent? Or are they, you know, what would you say success rate is? With that? There, are, there are instances definitely, and Eric, and Eric probably has a few, but that the landlord does say no, right? It, 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 the net worth does not equal yours. And I'm, and I am not you know, allowing you to assign the lease to somebody less than you, right? I'm just not. Um, yes. And yes. that's, yeah, very, very disappointing. Um, but Eric, yeah, chime in. Yeah. Even with that, so that's where those personal guarantees might come in too, though, right? Might come in, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting component. And Kelly can really perhaps shed some light for your listeners based on what might be going through the landlord's mind. But yes, we have a lot of, you know, M&A attorneys that are a lead source for us, a referral source, because just the landlord's being unreasonable and it's sort of just between a rock and a hard place. And we're just trying to get the deal done. And maybe we've already done one or two or three deals with that same landlord. So again, we can help to sort of bridge the gap. We know how to speak landlord, right? Kelly's obviously come from uh, from, from the dark side, if you will, the landlord side instead of the tenant side. So we can help to try to bridge that gap and really figure out what and why there is a gap. But yeah, there's been so many recent examples. There are two recently, one of the CE courses I did with one of the, uh, the national practice brokers, they came back and they did twofold. One was a beautiful $2.1 million producing practice the landlord came back and there wasn't any further options so he's coming to the end of that five-year option there was nothing left the landlord went back to the broker and the, and the doctor and everything else and said you know what mm, we just want to change our tenant mix and we want we want more of a fun tenant mm -hmm. i've been getting that i've been getting some of that and some of like definitely in san jose san francisco where they're just like we actually want a coffee shop and it's like what you want to you know and not to mention another condition in a lot of leases is even if you ask for an assignment they can terminate your lease i'm sure you've seen that yeah so it's, I mean, it's who a wants a coffee shop as a tenant when you can have a you. practice but, but i guess they need the ground floor it's not the most exciting uh you know well some erica will ask for a percentage of revenue Right? Not uncommon to see a percentage of revenue sales for a coffee shop to get a percentage of revenue. What a beautiful windfall. So tenant mix can be a key one. The, some practice brokers will actually reduce the price of the practice by upwards of $250 per square foot, basically discounting and assuming the risk for the buyer that if they do take over the lease and the landlord does wake up the next day and says, ah, Kelly, you know what? I want to move you to the basement. Or, you know what, the new developer came through and they want to put up a, you know, six story or 10 story or 50 story high rise, we want you out. Uh, we've seen multiple of those. One recent one was selling to a DSO, was selling two of his locations, right? One of the locations was being sold for over uh, just under $2 million. And the landlord at the 11th hour said no, right? We're, we're a large landlord, we've got national properties. We don't want it selling to a national uh, DSO. And more importantly, we, uh, we 
just we don't want to go to a corporate tent and we're thinking of doing some larger redevelopments, et cetera. And we know if that corporation goes in, it's going to be there for life. So as an adjustment on close at the 11th hour, that doctor had to pay $160,000 to the landlord purely for a signature on the bottom to assign the lease from one to the other. So if, if I may, Kelly, I mean, obviously you've seen it from the landlord side. Why? Why are landlords now either A, making it difficult or what, what might be going on in their minds that... Um, well, it really depends geographically, like where you are, right? So, uh, you know, yes, um, they they care about their tenants to a certain extent, but at the end of the day, they're going to get more money from from a developer, right? Then then you're out, right? It's just it's just a simple, you know, business is business. Right. And I would say if there is just a one percent chance that to answer your question is, you know, where is it on the one out of ten? Like, yeah, it it. it in the lower range, but I would just say if there's a 1% chance that the landlord could say no or deny deny you assignability or take sale proceeds, then why wouldn't you have somebody try to? Try I, to I haven't, yeah, I haven't seen too much of that happening. Obviously, we only represent uh, healthcare practices generally, especially after COVID, you know, where I, I'm in Chicago. So we see there's still a lot of space that's empty. So having a good tenant is still very appealing. Um, but I guess I could totally see geographically and kind of what the what the landlord's future plans are. Like maybe they're just waiting for the building to empty out because mm -hmm. they want to do things. But that could be devastating for a healthcare practice. Now, that what is the practice? Obviously, the practice are the providers, the patient list, et cetera. It is totally possible to relocate to a new space, but that takes time to negotiate that lease to build things out, it's very doable. So I would think with a time frame in place, it's not the end of the world, but you're right. When you wanna sell and you're looking at that lease arrangement, it's super important. We had a dentist, I think it was a dentist last year and um, the landlord, they wanted to tear down the building. And so we went through some pretty heavy negotiation, um, you know, in terms of him relocating to an equivalent space. So really time time is, is everything, right? Six months, is that enough? 12 months? probably enough, right? Especially if you want to build out. I know you and I worked on something where there was a potential build out and kind of fitting that into a transaction can be really tough. Yeah, yeah, because the landlord too, right? They they want the lease downtime, they, they want their rent, right? I think that's another thing is what kind of landlord are you working with? We work with, with you know, Joe who owns one building, maybe Bob owns 10 or, you know, uh, huge, huge landlords like um, RPAI and, you know, they can maybe, the, the larger ones can maybe wait longer, right? Because they have their multi-million dollar companies, but Bob or Joe who just owns one, you know, he, he can't, right? So, you know, that's sort of what we're really good at, at, you know, discovering what, kind of landlord we're working with and how do we make it work right how do we make it work for everybody involved and obviously on this call where you can tell that we know so much about the dentist business that we're, we're not even talking about the problems that we encounter in the lease and how we fix those you know legally so um, there's just so much involved because there's so much money involved in, in, in dentistry and, and veterinary and, and GPs as well. Right. Makes sense. All right. So the healthcare providers out there, 
no matter what their specialty is, what they really need to know is, A, if they own their building, make sure they have a separate entity and a separate lease, uh, they should be talking to somebody on making sure that lease is done properly. Uh, secondly, if they have a lease, have they ever had someone look at it? Are they paying the right rates? Are the terms good? What should they be looking to approve? Maybe immediately, maybe when it comes up for renewal, right? Thirdly, is it coming up for renewal? Don't just auto renew. Are there some things that you could be doing now to improve your lease or maybe protect for what your retirement plans or your sailing plans might be, et cetera? So that's really all kind of the whole life cycle of a healthcare practice is you got to keep an eye on that lease. And sometimes I think my clients just think of it as like, you know, it's a monthly expense and yeah, it's just another contract, but really it can impact so much. It's not the same as their, you know, computer service contract or their cleaning contract, right? It is really an important piece of the whole structure of the practice. Did I miss anything or did that sound right? I was just going to add the best thing for any of your listeners right now, not while driving, but just, you know, take this as a good action item on your phone to put in both the lease expiry dates and then quite frankly, more importantly, the option to renew deadline date. So many forget that. And that might be six, nine, 12 months prior to expiry. And landlords put it in there. Rarely do they reach out proactively to remind the doctor, but clearly in their lease, it states that if they miss that option to renew deadline, those remaining two or three five-year options become null and void. And then they have no right to stay in the space after that original expiry. So we see so many doctors these days, which we still try to scream from the rooftops to say, mm -hmm. be aware of your option to renew deadline. And ideally, get a new lease negotiated prior to that expiry. That's sort of the worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. Start two years prior to help maximize your leverage and still know you've got that option, you know, 12 months, six months in advance to fall back on. But see, you'd be surprised uh, what the landlord may be willing to do, especially when dangling a new 10-year term with two five-year options is, I mean, that's instant sort of receivable revenue for the landlord. So um, and unfortunately, all they see from a practitioner is just a dollar sign, right? So it's term and rent is what motivates them. So under, underneath it all, but that's what it motivates them. Great. The goal is, is how do we help to maximize that? We maximize right. the benefit. All right. So any final thoughts? I think it's so good. We could probably talk for like another hour, but <laughs> any other final thoughts I, I, on what people should know or what you wish they would take away from this? Kelly? Oh, well, like Eric said, it's pulling out your lease, looking at the timeline, understanding that is probably the number one asset that you need to look at when you need to sell. And there's no later time to start looking at the lease, right? I always explain to landlords when we're doing a new, like an associate ready to start their first practice, and we're already asking for, you know, release of liability after they sell. The landlord goes, well, you know, or they might say, wait, you're selling? No, no, no. We're doing the heavy lifting now, right? So we don't have to worry about it in the future, right? So do everything that you can today because it's much harder to change from the landlords later. And, you know, obviously it's there instead of adding it in 20 years later. Um, but as Eric said too, on a renewal, um, you know, giving them more term, uh, more money, it is definitely, you know, softens them up to start opening up their lease. And we do have a lot of success in, in making changes that are specific to dentistry. And once we tell that landlord, hey, this is what we're all about. We're just looking for something from a dental lens. Um, they, they, they come around and start to understand um, what, what we're all about.
I would maybe just add to, to all listeners is just just know, right? Take this, if, even if, again, if there's a 1% chance, and I can assure you that uh, at least half of some of the red flags we've mentioned are hidden in your li- listeners' leases, uh, just to have that lease review. And what I'd be happy to do, Erica, for any of your listeners is to have a complimentary lease review, waive any fees proportionate to that. And if anybody wants to send us a copy of the lease or even find out what the rental rates are, vacancies, demographic reports, if we have them for your specific geography, we've got, you know, from Anchorage to Honolulu and Key West and everything in between. Mm-hmm. So happy to support any of your uh, your clients, listeners, et cetera. And just, just know, know is the biggest component. And then we go through this sort of negotiation treatment plan to start, you know, best case scenario, worst case scenario, and, you know, what's a realistic expectations going in. And then Kelly does all her magic uh, in the back end. Great. Well, thank you, Kelly. And thank you, Eric. I think it's been really helpful. We'll definitely share your information uh, when we post this. And thanks to all of you for joining us on the Health Law Hotspot. You can catch our other podcasts at ralaw.com. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us. The Retzel Health Law Hotspot is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. Use of the Retzel Health Law Hotspot does not create an attorney-client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Retzel Health Law Hotspot should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice, and you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have.